0: LaFosse Corporation, LLC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. This is season six, so sit back and enjoy. Listen to some stories of the weird, of the odd, of the strange and unusual, some ghost stories, some cryptid stories, some just strange stuff. Again, welcome to Season 6. Enjoy. Hello everybody. This week I want to open this show with um, with a shout out to a very important person. This person is a faithful listener to the show, and I would call him a fan of the show. His name is Eugene. Eugene lives in Iowa. Hi Eugene, glad to have you as a Mysterian. I hope you're having a great day. You all know that I have a fascination with war history. The Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and up into our recent conflicts. I don't dwell on the violence, but rather on the oddities which happened during war. These oddities can be coincidences, although I know that some people don't believe in coincidences, but I do. Odd happenings are downright paranormal events. I don't exactly know where to place this story, so I think I'll put it in the inspirational category. I watched a movie the other day that brought to mind the subject of today's show. The Bielski Partisans, or the Bielski Otriad, were a unit of Jewish Partisans who rescued Jews from extermination and fought the german occupiers and their collaborators around Navarudak and Lida in german occupied poland which is now western belarus the partisan unit was named after the bielskis a family of polish jews who organized and led the community the bielski partisans spent more than 2 years living in the forest by the end of the war, they numbered as many as 1,236 members, most of whom were non-combatants, including children and the elderly. The Bielski partisans were seen by many Jews as heroes for having led as many refugees as they did away from the perils of war and the Holocaust. However as their relations with the non-Jewish population were strained and occasionally violent. Their wartime record has been the subject of some controversy in Poland. But given the fact that both the German army and local authorities were always looking for them, I'd give them a lot of leeway to protect themselves and their group. In war, it is unfortunate that even the good guys sometimes do bad things. Before World War II, the Bielski family had been millers and grocers in Stankiewicz, near Noworudek, an area that, at the outbreak of the war, belonged to Poland, and in September 1939 was occupied by the Soviet Union because of the Polish September campaign and the Soviet invasion of Poland in 1939 in accord with the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact between Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. Before the war, Tuvia, that's T-U-V-I-A, Tuvia Bielski, had received training in the Polish Army. After performing reserve duty, he engaged in trade. But, things being as they were, he eventually became a smuggler. Under the Soviet occupation of eastern Poland, the remainder of the Bielski family served as low-level administrators for the Soviets, with Tuvia Bielski becoming a commissar. Now this strained the Bielski's relations with their neighbors, many of whom were subjected to Soviet repression. Apparently, the Soviets thought as little of the Jews as the Germans did. During Operation Barbarossa, which was the German invasion of the Soviet Union, beginning June 22, 1941, Navarudak became a Jewish ghetto as the Germans took over the area and implemented their genocidal policies. The four Bielski brothers, Tuvia, Alexander, who was also called Zush, Asael, and Aaron, fled into the nearby forests after their parents and other family members had been killed in the ghetto on December 8th of 1941. In the spring of 1942, together with 13 ghetto neighbors, they formed the nucleus of a Partisan Combat Unit, or OTRIAD. The unit originally numbered some 40 people, but quickly grew. The unit's commander was the oldest brother, Tuvia, who had served in the Polish army from 1927 to 1929 and rose to the rank of corporal. He had been interested in the Zionist youth movement. He sent emissaries to infiltrate the area's ghettos, recruiting new members to the unit, which was sheltering in the Nalaboki forest. Hundreds of men, women, and children eventually found their way to the Bielski encampment. At its peak, the unit hosted 1,236 people. 70% of them were women, children, and the elderly. No one was turned away. About 150 people engaged in armed operations. The partisans lived in underground dugouts, or bunkers. In addition, several utility structures were built. There was a kitchen a mill, a bakery, a bathhouse, a medical clinic for the sick and wounded, and a quarantine hut for those who suffered from infectious diseases such as typhus. Herds of cows supplied milk. Artisans made goods and carried out repairs, providing the combatants with logistical support. Information that was later passed along to and served the Soviet partisan units in the vicinity as well. More than 125 workers toiled in the workshops, which became famous among partisans far beyond the Bielski base. Tailors patched up old clothing and stitched together new garments. Shoemakers fixed old and made new footwear. Leather workers labored on belts, bridles, and saddles. A metalworking shop established by Schmuel Oppenheim repaired damaged weapons and constructed new ones from spare parts. A tannery constructed to produce the hide for cobblers and leather workers became a de facto synagogue because several tanners were devout Hasidic Jews, carpenters, hat makers, Barbers and watchmakers served their own community and guests. The camp's many children attended class in the dugout, set up as a school. The camp even had its own jail in court of law. Some accounts note the inequality between well-off partisans and poor inhabitants of the camp. According to one of Tuvia Bielski's cousins, who lived in the camp, relayed to her daughter, That women were forced to strip naked upon entry and give up their underwear as a form of entry ticket. The Bielski unit's partisans were primarily concerned with survival. Due to their poor equipment and training, they were not assigned main combat roles. Instead, its members operated field kitchens, hospitals, and bakeries and provided tailoring and cobbling services for Soviet soldiers. Their main task, though, was forced requisitioning of food and other supplies from the local population. The Bielski Partisan group decided to prioritize saving Jews. Tuvia Bielski said, I would rather save one old Jewish woman than kill 10 German soldiers. The Bielski Partisan's targets also included the Germans and their collaborators who had betrayed or killed Jews such as Belarusian volunteer policemen and local inhabitants as well as their families. In one case the Bielski partisans killed some 12 people from a Belarusian family who had betrayed two Jewish girls to the Germans. In another the Bielski partisans killed several collaborators whose names they extracted from Ivan Tsverkis, a collaborator with the Jewish wife. They also conducted sabotage. At the beginning of 1943, German planes dropped leaflets into the area, promising a 50,000 Reichmark reward for assistance in the capture of Tuvia Bielski. This figure was subsequently doubled to 100,000 Reichmarks and the leaflets, which were intended for the Christian population, also reached Jews and motivation encouraged to attempt an escape to the forest camp. In August of 1943, the Germans conducted a major clearing operation, which they referred to as Operation Hermann. It was also dubbed the Big Hunt and they conducted it against villages and partisan groups in the Nalabaki forest. Partisan groups in the forest and surrounding villages suffered major casualties. The Bielski partisans, however, split into small groups and assembled back in their former base in the Jasano'o forest. The communities around the Nalabaki forest were devastated. The Germans deported the non-Jewish residents fit for work to Germany for slave labor and murdered most of the rest. Prior to the manhunt, homeless refugees were mainly Jews who had escaped the ghetto, but in the fall of 1943, non-Jewish Belarusian, Polish, and Roma, who managed to flee, roamed the forest. Many joined partisan units, special family camps set up by the Soviets, and some joined the Bielski group, who returned to the area and accepted anyone willing to join. While the Germans wrecked many communities, much of what was left behind in and around the forest could sustain life. Fields, orchards, and beehives all had their produce, and farm animals roamed the area around the forest. While the buildings of the villages were partially demolished, much of the building material was left usable, as well as some household goods. The Bielski group foraged and gathered much of these materials intended to the fields. The Bielski partisans eventually became affiliated with Soviet organizations in the vicinity of the Nalabaki forest. Several attempts by Soviet commanders to absorb the Bielski fighters into their units were resisted and the Jewish partisan group retained its integrity and remained under Tuvia Bielski's command. This allowed him to continue his mission of protecting Jewish lives and engaging in combat activity, but it would prove a problem later on. In September of 1943, General Platon ordered the splitting of the group The first group, named after a famous Georgian communist, was a 180-strong, mainly Jewish fighting detachment, commanded by a non-Jew, Lushenko. All the rest were designated as Kalinin, named for the Soviet head of state, and included some 800 people, including 160 armed defenders that were based in Nalabaki Forest, and provided services for other partisan groups in the forest as well as participating in sabotage and diversionary actions on april 1 1944 the group was renamed as the bielski otriad like other soviet affiliated partisan groups in the area the bielski partisans raided nearby villages and forcibly seized food on occasion Peasants who refused to share their food with the partisans were subjected to violence, even murder. This caused hostility toward the partisans on the part of the peasants, though some willingly helped the Jewish partisans. Other peasants informed on the Jewish partisans in the forest to the Germans. As a region was already pacified by the Germans, and many villages were burned to the ground, the local population was in an especially dire situation. According to partisan documentation, in the period from the fall of 1943 to the summer of 1944, the Bielski fighters, which were 1,140 Jews, 149 of whom were armed combatants, claimed to have carried out 38 combat missions, destroying two locomotives, 23 train cars, 32 telegraph poles, and four bridges. In total, the Bielski partisans claimed during the war to have killed 381 enemy fighters, in part jointly with Soviet groups, and to have lost 50 members. According to Kazimierz Krzyzewski, a November 1943 report from Tuvia Bielski to the Soviet command stated that in two years of operations, the bielski Otriad killed 14 Germans, 17 policemen, and 33 spies and provocateurs. In his opinion, 14 Germans killed was not a substantial number for a two-year period. The Bielski Partisans had friendly relations with the local Home Army Commander, 2nd Lieutenant Kaspar Majlijewski, who was a native of the region. He located his camp a kilometer from the Bielski camp, and according to Tuvia Bielski's memoirs, felt a deep sympathy for the Bielski group because it sheltered women, elderly, and children. In August of 1943, the Germans conducted a large-scale pacification operation in the Nalabaki forest, inflicting losses on civilians, Polish home army units, Soviet partisans, and the Bielski group. Following this German action, in which the home army unit lost 120 men and was forced out of the forest, Miliziewski was replaced with Adolf Pilch, who was placed in charge of the Stolpsk battalion. By 1943 in September, the Soviets had begun a policy of confrontation against the Polish anti-Nazi underground, which it saw as a threat to their aims in Eastern Poland. In December, the Soviets drew Pilch's men into a trap by inviting them to friendly talks. They then surrounded Pilch's men and threatened to execute kidnapped Polish officers unless the unit surrendered. Bielski's unit participated in, in this operation. Some 135 Polish soldiers and nine officers were arrested. However, Pilch managed to avoid capture along with 50 others. And according to Pilch, the Bielski partisans were too distracted with pillaging the Polish camp in search of valuables, which allowed him to escape capture. Pilch's unit would continue to fight the Soviet partisans. Fighting on the Soviet side, the Bielski partisans took part in clashes between Polish and Soviet forces. On March 5th of 1944, Zush's fighter detachment, the Soviet forces, jointly attacked a group of Polish fighters killing 47 and injuring 20 more. On March 22nd, 20 Jewish fighters managed to ambush a Nazi convoy and kill 12. According to Kazimierz Krzyzewski, in May of 1944, the village of Kamien in Stolz was attacked by a force including Bielski partisans. 23 home army soldiers and 20 civilians were killed. In the summer of 1944, following the Soviet Operation Bagration, which allowed them to regain control over Belarus, the Kalinin unit, numbering some 1,200, of which 70% were women, elderly and children, marched into Novorudik and following one final parade, they disbanded. Despite their previous cooperation with the Soviets, relations quickly worsened. The NKVD started interrogating the Bielski brothers about the rumors of loot they had reportedly collected during the war and about their failure to implement socialist ideals in the camp. Asael Bielski, the third brother, was conscripted into the Soviet Red Army and died in the Battle of Konigsberg in 1945, some six months later. The remaining brothers escaped Soviet-controlled lands, immigrating to the west. Tuvia's cousin, Yehuda Bielski, was sought by the NKVD for having been an officer in the pre-war Polish army, but managed to escape with Tuvia's help and made his way to Hungary and then to Israel. After the war, Tuvia Bielski returned to Poland then emigrated to present-day Israel in 1945. Tuvia and Zush eventually settled in New York, where they operated a successful trucking business. When Tuvia died in 1987, he was buried in Long Island, New York. But a year later, at the urging of surviving partisans in Israel, he was exhumed and given a hero's funeral at Har Hamiduchat, The hillside graveyard in Jerusalem. His wife, Lilka, was buried beside him in 2001. The last living Bielski brother, Aaron Bielski, immigrated to the United States in 1951. He changed his name to Aaron Bell. The remainder of the Bell family now lives in upstate New York and California. Aaron lives in Florida. None of the Bielskis ever sought any recognition or reward for their actions. Yehuda Bielski, their first cousin and fellow partisan, moved to Israel to fight in the Ergun. It is apparent that the Bielskis were not saints, and neither were their followers. The times during which these events occurred were turbulent, confused times. Loyalty sometimes came down to those as basic as community. Many groups were struggling for power over their areas, and there was much cross-fighting, even among groups fighting for similar goals, such as the defeat of the Germans. Survival was the only way to win the war, and the Bielski brothers helped around 1,200 Jews survive the war. For that, They deserve acknowledgement. God bless those who led, those who fought, and those who survived. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments, or you can email me at terrysmysteriousmoments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everyone.